Hello, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. Today we're going to talk about something that is a little bit spicy. Yep, I find that when I mention this word, it always gets lots of attention. But uh, it's a word that's part of all of... um, the recovery and it's part of the understanding about what you've been enmeshed with and tangled up with when you're um, involved with a narcissist, sociopath, or psychopath. So here we go. Today we're going to talk about sex, how the narcissistic psychopath weaponizes sex. So the narcopath which is the narcissistic psychopath, exhibits sexual deviations. And because of their magical thinking, because NPD and other cluster B disorders are actually delusional disorders, they fall under that category, then they're never going to be able to fully uh, own this and acknowledge that this is what's happening. But when you, so when you've had the experience of arguing with a narcissist sociopath, it may feel like you're talking to someone who isn't there. And in fact, that is actually true because they are divorced from themselves and they are empty at their very core. They cannot be reasoned with in any way. They can't. Um, And it's kind of silly and foolish to keep trying. I know sometimes you can't stop yourself. I've been there where I just couldn't walk away and I just kept kept engaging and kept, kept the argument going. But um, really it was pointless because they cannot be reasoned with. Cluster B disordered individuals are extremely self-destructive and they're going to spend their entire lives punishing the parent who abused or neglected them, reenacting that dynamic and punishing their significant other who functions sort of as a, as a proxy parent, usually a mother, proxy mother, and eventually they end up punishing themselves uh, because of their shame and their uh, brokenness and damage. All of the normal memory that a person develops that comprises their personal identity Uh, and allows them to inhabit themselves, right? We have to inhabit ourselves. Um, It doesn't matter to the narcopath because all that matters is the game. They're not concerned with building an identity or trying to inhabit themselves. They're just concerned with the game. And um, all that's left of them because of this is just this myopic, single-minded machine whose only focus is to win, to triumph, to get the reaction and ultimate control that they crave. They're deeply addicted to the reactions of other people, and like a ravenous specter or ghost, they are going to float around and do whatever they need to do to get fuel or supply in the form of adoration, attention, adulation, 
and affection. That's what they seek. That's what keeps them going, you know. That's what fuels them. They're going to use whatever manipulations and tools that are at their disposal to win this game. And remember this. It is never anything more than a game. They have no true feelings, no authentic emotions, and no genuine connection. Even though, man, oh man, it seems so real, so real. They have everybody fooled. They can fool their therapist. They can fool their spouse. They can fool their family. They can fool their friends. They can fool everybody. They are masters at that, of appearing to be one thing on the outside, but on the inside, nope, nobody's home. So the narcopath weaponizes sex. Yes, let's talk about sex. They do this to get control of, the, of their victim. The narcopath studies their target. They, they take notes. They analyze them. They figure out exactly what brings them pleasure and, um, and what makes them feel excited so that they can use that information to seduce them and gain control of them. They apply this robotic approach, this very scientific approach, to the entire sexual experience. They feed off of their partner's reactions, gaining copious, like abundant amounts of fuel. They use their partner in an auto-erotic way, as if they are masturbating with a human sex toy. There are no feelings of intimacy involved, and their stellar performance is so impactful for their partner that they are validated and empowered. You are under some zombie bruja wizard's spell. Yes, it is powerful magic, but it isn't real. It's not real. If you can just remember this one thing, that none of this is what it seems, that the narcopath does not even acknowledge your humanity, much less your dignity, then it's easier to avoid falling under their sexual spell. Because, you know, they put the hoodoo on you, put the hoodoo on you in a lot of different ways, and sex is just one more tool that they use to do this, to get you in their grips, to tangle you up in their web. Mm-hmm. It's like that. So narcopaths are desperate for your positive response to their sexual performance while hating and resenting you for requiring your approval in the first place. It's kind of a they need you, but they hate it that they need you. They are children. And as a result, they get angry when you ask for things like loyalty or commitment or anything that attempts to limit their hedonistic quest for fresh sex supply. What a rush that is, right? You know, first time you get with somebody new or something, you know, it's like maximum fuel flowing into them. How dare you ask them to cur curtail or limit their fun? Who do you think you are anyway? <laughs> right? So, the somatic, sexual, addicted, narcissistically disordered attitude towards sex is both avoidant, but it's also obsessive. It's a push-pull. It's a they're drawn to you, but they are, they are contemptuous and repelled 
repulsed by you all at the same time. They have mixed feelings as they have you and control you while at the same time they want to remain independent and unattached. They believe they are better off alone having random casual sex uh, because they are incapable of connecting on a deeper intimate level. They're like the most awesome date. They're polite, usually charismatic, charming, sweet, helpful, gentle, kind, great listeners, all these things. I mean, you think you've struck it big, you know, boom, bingo. I've, I've you know, hit the gold mines here, but boy, oh boy, that is not what's happening. Um, so they believe they're better off alone. Uh, but then at the same time, they need you. Their feelings of guilt and shame motivate this sort of paradoxical dichotomy split personality kind of thing. And they do have something called a split psyche that is unable to rationally understand themselves or uh, what compels them to act the way they do. They don't understand that. Very few narcissists psychopaths or sociopaths truly understand all their inner workings and like what's going on there. They don't even know why they do what they do. They just know they have to do it. There's something called splitting. Splitting creates instability in relationships because they either see you as black or white, good or bad, friend or foe. They can't see you as both. That's kind of uh, like object constancy, too. You, you can't, like if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. And if you're on their bad list, there can't be anything good about you. If you're on their good list, if they just met you and they're infatuated and they're having great sex, great fuel, great, great whatever, then you can do no wrong. I mean, everything's perfect. They can't uh, be in a relationship with someone where, you know, a normal person, you love someone, but you can be angry with them at the same time. You love someone, you can be frustrated or disappointed with them at the same time. You can love someone and not like them sometimes. They don't get this. It's either one or the other, good or bad, um, friend or foe. This condition is caused by unmet psychosexual needs that have not been met because of emotional abuse in their early life. Their world is not like the atypical, that's like the regular person. Uh, NPD and other cluster B disorders are considered delusional disorders and their ability to live in reality is impaired to the degree where, you know, it's almost like they're from another planet. The somatic narcissist, and you know there's different kinds of narcissists. Let me just mention there's also a cerebral narcissist, cerebral and somatic. So the somatic narcissist resorts to serial sexual conquest. His sex partners are considered by him to be just mere objects. He objectifies them. He, they're, they're, um, he sees them as appliances like a toaster or a cell phone. Or something like that, right? He needs it. It has a function. When it's new and shiny, oh, wow, he's so proud of it, and he just loves it. It's just can't get enough of it. But then, you know, as it loses its shine and its luster, then he's got to replace it with a newer model. 
So sex is um, not about love or intimacy and all of that. Their partners are not even human beings <clears throat> to them. Their disorder prevents them from feeling emotional empathy, which also prevents them from ever being able to experience a healthy relationship. They also have what is called sort of the Madonna whore complex, where basically that makes them unable to maintain sexual arousal in a committed loving relationship. Do you see how that is juxtaposed? It's put side by side, this contrast, and, and it can't be both. You can't be a Madonna and a whore at the same time, because remember, you're all good or all bad. You can't be both at the same time. They're not capable of, of thinking in that complex kind of way. So either you're the whore, they're the one, you're the one that they want to have sex with, that they're, um, you know, aroused by, or they, they, you're the Madonna and they look up to you as like, Oh, okay. This is the, this is the one I, that has the virtue that I'm supposed to, you know, whatever. So, but it's not the same. Um, so they kind of have that. My narcopath husband, tell you a little story here. He told me many times, he said, I'm not actually a sex addict because it's not really important to me. But you know what? When he discarded me, he said the reason was that he, that he didn't, you know, he said the reason he had to leave our very long 15-year marriage was because he didn't want to be monogamous. And he wanted to have sex with whoever he wanted, whenever he wanted, however he wanted, and just be hedonistic like that. Um, you know, he talked about being polyamorous, and then he decided that was too much work. Those are real relationships. I don't want that. I just want no strings attached, random uh, sexual relationships with people that I can go have fun with, go to the beach, go to a movie, go out to dinner, have sex, and then move on to another one the next night. That's what he wants. I don't think that's exactly what polyamory means. Um, uh, so he said, I don't believe in right or wrong, good or evil or any of that. I don't believe in things like marriage or exclusive relationships. Okay, so he's defining his own thing. A few months later, we met to finalize divorce agreements. agreements and he said to me, he said, you know, I've slept with eight different women, women since I left you. Why would he tell me that? Right. And I, and so I said to him, why would you do that? And why would you tell me that you did that? And I was just looking at him in horror um, while trying to like, look like I was unaffected by what he was saying. He said, I guess I wanted to punish you. He remarked with no emotion just, I guess I wanted to punish you. For what? I said, why would you do that to me? I didn't do anything wrong to you. I didn't do anything except love you. And I kept forgiving you for all of the things you did that were really messed up. I stood by you. I gave you everything you ever wanted. And I loved you no matter what. What are you punishing me for? And I said this while I was like looking into his face, searching for something, anything that was familiar that might resemble some little piece or shred of, of the husband who lay beside me 
night after night for 15 years. That guy, that guy, that man, he was gone. He was replaced by someone unrecognizable. He had shape-shifted into a completely different person. I suddenly realized something that hit me in the chest like a shotgun blast. My husband, my husband was dead. Narcissistic psychopaths, uh, they have an intense hardening of the heart that perpetually hides behind an impenetrable wall that you are never, ever, ever going to get over or under or around. It's a response to all kinds of horrible trauma, maybe abuse, sexual exploitation, neglect, all kinds of damaging things that they experienced. You know, my narcopath, um, he was enchanted and interested in things like Hitler and, and creatives like Da Vinci and Oscar Wilde. In fact, uh, there's a particular Oscar Wilde quote that he often would bring up. He said, everything in the world is about sex, except for sex. Sex is about power. Think about that for a second. Everything in the world is about sex, right? Think about that. Is that right? Everything in the world is about sex, except the actual act of having sex. And that actual act of having sex is about power. And he read about powerful people like he was trying to learn, I don't know, how to be Hitler, how to manipulate people, how to, how to brainwash people, how to start his own cult. He would be really, really good at that. Oh, my gosh. I never understood his fascination with all of this. But, you know, I do understand it now. The narcopath is an addict and a junkie. They seek to push boundaries, which is a primal drive to try to feel something when something in them knows that they can't feel anything. Why? Why can't they feel anything? They're dead. They can't feel anything, or at least they can't feel what most people feel. And they know that they are different. They know that they are not like other people. You know, it's kind of like the person who cuts themselves, you know, the cutters. They cut themselves to feel something more painful than the pain that they're going through. And it's kind of a relief or a catharsis cathartic moment that lets them kind of feel a little bit of relief to do this. Well, the narcopath wounds himself in a self-sabotaging way to try to feel something. You know, he told me once, you know, I have sadomasochistic tendencies. Not only do I kind of get some pleasure from other people's suffering, I also get some pleasure from my own suffering. And my ex did have a history of cutting. He was in high school. He was a cutter. He cut himself over this girl. I'm going to say her name. He and Nancy, they cut themselves. And Nancy was a cutter and he was a cutter. And together they just cut themselves. When they broke up, they went to town cutting themselves because it's just kind of what some weird, crazy thing, you know, people do. So, yeah, that's what I'm going to compare it to. People with personality disorders are afraid of authentic, mature intimacy. 
The sexuality of narcopaths is stunted and depersonalized. It's like a, a six or seven year old kid trying to understand sex and do it. And their partner as a result is dehumanized and degraded. Dehumanized and degraded. Intimacy reduces them to mediocrity by exposing their vulnerabilities and weaknesses and shame and all the ugly dark stuff inside. They habitually lie about every aspect of their life, their history, their family, their job, their friends, their accomplishments, and their emotions. And this fake data guarantees this distance and safety that cannot be breached. Right? They build this fantasy world. You can't get to the real them. There is no real them. It's all false. Another key feature exhibited by narcopaths is paranoia, and sex is the perfect opportunity for them to experience persecutory delusions. They may equate intimacy with life-threatening vulnerabilities. So there's absolutely no possible way you're going to break down those defenses to get at their core. For them, it's a matter of life and death. They're paranoid about that. They're scared of it. And if you did get through, you would discover there's nothing there anyway. They are hollow and empty. So while you may think you found your knight in shining armor and that sex with your alleged soulmate is the most powerfully fantastical experience of your life, it is not what you think. They are not present, not in bed, not in your life, not anywhere. And you, my dear, are a necrophiliac. You are sleeping with a dead man, buried deep inside a beautiful, beautiful body. Well, that's my very disturbing message about sex with a narcopath. Um, hope that wasn't too triggery or traumatic. It's pretty disturbing stuff, right? Uh, if you want to read more of my things, go to my website. Check out narctroopers.com, narctroopers.com, or find more of my articles here at uh, pesqueta.medium.com, or uh, you can find my podcast on all major platforms, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Anchor, there's probably about 10 or 15 different platforms, you know, Android, everything. You can listen while you drive and while you work and learn about all of this ridiculously messed up stuff. Because, you know, I think that there's a lot of people out there with personality disorders. We're just talking about cluster B when we talk about narcissism, sociopathy, and psychopathy. I myself have a personality disorder. I'm cluster C. Now, granted, Cluster C is definitely the one I would choose if I had to do between A, B, or C. A people are so disconnected from reality. B people, untreatable, cannot be fixed, cannot be healed. They are dead, dead inside. But Cluster C, it's just like attachment issues, abandonment issues, codependency, that kind of stuff, you know. And I'm working on it. 
obviously I'm working on it every day, trying to get healthy, trying to get whole, trying to deal with my inner child and my wounding and trauma from my life so that I can not continue to go out there and attract narcissistic sociopaths and psychopaths. I'm not going to go out there and get tangled up with another one because it can be a pattern for people who are cluster C. So I just want to put that out there. When I think about how wrong my life has gone and how horrible this experience has been since my narcopath discarded me about a year and a half ago. Um, it is probably the most horrible thing that I've ever tried to overcome. But, you know, I am not without faults myself. I would not have allowed it. I would have had healthy boundaries and escaped long before waiting 15 years being married to this person when he did many, many very disturbingly not okay red flag moments because I'm cluster C disordered. I ignored that. I just looked the other way and said, you know, oh, this is a bumpy spot. He's going to be okay. I love him. I'm going to fix him. I can heal him. I'm going to say a prayer for him. I believe in miracles. It's going to work. It's going to work. And that was my cluster C denial because I had unhealthy attachments, fears of abandonment, and codependency. Yep, yep, yep. But at least I'm a functioning person with the emotions. I may be dysregulated. I may have chemical imbalances. I may have anxiety and panic attacks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Check all those boxes. But you know what? I, I have emotions. And the cluster B person, they don't. Not really. They don't know how to have intimacy. They don't know how to love. They don't. It's not that they don't know how. They're incapable of it because they are, let me keep coming back to this, they're, they are dead inside. They are. You can't bring them back to life. You cannot resuscitate them. You can try. You can try like I did. And 15 long years later, you can be going through some serious uh, addiction withdrawal and trauma bonding um, <laughs> you know, difficulties that are going to kick your butt. So here's the last thing I'm going to say. If you're in one of these relationships with one of these cluster B people, please save yourself. Spare your friends and family and people who love you. Spare them the pain of all of this mess and get out. It doesn't matter if you love them. It doesn't matter how much you love them. I loved mine like, oh my gosh, how I love that man doesn't matter. Did not change a darn thing. Get out. Stay out. Get away. Stay away. Man, you will thank me later. And if you have been discarded, or if you recently escaped, your journey here towards healing, and I'm assuming that's why you're listening to this podcast today, it's going to be the hardest thing you ever did. But you have the capability to do it. You can recover. You can reclaim your life, your feelings, hope. You don't have to give in to despair forever. It's going to be hard. I won't lie to you. It's going to be so hard. And there's going to be so many people who do not understand. What the heck is wrong with her? What's wrong with him? 
Why are they so upset? Why can't they just get over this? Because, oh my gosh, there's so many reasons why you don't just get over it. You need to find a trained support person, therapist or counselor who knows what trauma bonding and intermittent reinforcement and narcissism and and psychopaths and PTSD and all of that, they understand it. They know how to heal it, how to work with it. And then you need to find a support group who has experienced the same thing that you have because they're going to get it. They're going to be like, oh, hell yes, we get this. We went through the same thing. But other people, your friends and family who don't know what this is, don't expect them to understand. This is something else. And it's beyond what they, it's inconceivable what you're experiencing. So let it be, give them space, get the support you need and keep going guys. We're going to do this. I have good days and bad days and some of the bad days are really bad. Some of the good days, I actually feel like I'm going to make it like, yeah, I'm getting closer and it's just a mix. It's a mixed bag of good and bad, but we just have to keep moving, keep trying one day at a time and we're going to get there. Okay. Stay safe. Wear your mask. (laughs) And, um, I'll talk to you soon. Much love. Bye.